Good Tuesday morning, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com podcast brought to you by our friends at Blue Water Climate Control with Rob Lewis and Austin Price. Brent Hubbs, glad to have you along with us. Hope everybody's going, uh, doing well on this Tuesday morning. A couple of quick things to pass along uh, from a scheduling standpoint for, for everybody as we get ready to head into game week next week. Um, and starting this week, we're going to shift the mailbag podcast to Thursday. Uh, that will run on Thursday. And then on Friday, um, you'll be able to catch uh, Austin and I, our, our hour-long appearance on uh, the Midday 180 in Nashville on 104.5. So essentially three podcasts coming down the pike a week, but we'll do our regular Tuesday morning podcast, and then we'll do uh, the weekly mailbag podcast, but we're going to run that on Thursdays. We'll do that on Thursday instead of on Fridays, and then we'll have our appearance on uh, Nashville Radio on Friday. So just a quick programming note there and scheduling note heading into uh, this week and obviously the start of the season next week. All right, guys, let me, let's get to some ball here. Uh, simple question out of the gate. Watching college, high school football, college football, and the NFL over the weekend, what did you learn about this football season based on week one? That it's going to be a lot like the high school football season, guys. I mean, you're going to have a loss of game here or there. A team's going to get hit and, and not be able to play on, on the weekend. But, you know, I think enough teams around, uh, you know, these few circumstances will be able to push through. I mean, we've seen that all over the state with high school football. There's been a team here or team there that's had to drop out for a week or two, depending on their situation. And I think that you'll probably see that at the college level as well. Yeah, I mean, I agree. to me, I mean, I know we're just, we're just getting into this, but, you know, teams have been practicing. They've been together for a, a long time. Um, both college and NFL. I mean, high school kids are going to school. To me, my biggest takeaway is that it's manageable. I mean, as Austin said, you're going to have some some teams. You know, I don't know that you're going to have any NFL teams miss. I mean, I, you can add to the roster, you know, however you want. You, you might be missing some guys for sure, but I don't know that they're going to cancel any games barring, you know, just a, a widespread outbreak. That's, that's my biggest takeaway, that you can manage this. There's no reason to throw your – arms up in the air like, you know, the Pac-12 has done, the Big Ten maybe has done, and just, you know, wipe, wipe the board clean. All right, I'm going to get to the Pac-12 Big Ten stuff in just a minute before we get into Tennessee. But here's my takeaway, and I'll throw this as a question. My big, one of my biggest takeaway was the, the, the quality of the, of the game, the quality of the play. Yeah, there's no fans. I get there's no atmosphere there. But, I mean, have we seen the last of NFL preseason games based on the way week one in the NFL has gone? I mean, it's not like these teams were a big sloppy mess. And the good teams in college football played like the good teams in college football should play. I mean, Clemson looked like they're a good football team. I think we expected Florida State and Georgia Tech to, to be a close game, and it turned out that, that Georgia Tech pulled the upset there. But, but Florida State could have easily won that game. But I just thought the quality of play, and, and that's one of the things I think is the big unknown for Tennessee with all the stuff going on right now. But for the teams that we saw play over the weekend, both at the collegiate level and at the NFL level, I thought the quality of football was pretty good. They, there wasn't this sloppiness, this awful rust that I, I think I sort of anticipated heading into week one with as bizarre as the last six months have been you know with the OTA schedules in the NFL no spring practice etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, first on the NFL side I don't think you'll see them eliminate the preseason games just simply because owners charge their, their fans for those tickets as far as okay. the season maybe we'll see two instead of four I could maybe but I just that to me is 
a money grab. What, and I'm not the only person to voice this opinion. What it makes me wonder is, you know, how many fans realize that they'd rather sit at home. Cause I know, even if, you know, I'm not a huge Titans fan, but even if I was and I could drive 20 minutes of the game, I have more fun on an NFL Sunday, kicking back, watching the red zone channel, you know, keeping up with, with eight games at, at one time. So that, that to me, I wonder if, if some of the hardcore fans in NFL cities won't, you know, reassess things once they're, you know, they're sitting there, they're, they're checking, they're, they're watching their fantasy team constantly. They're keeping up with their, you know, their gambling bets all in, you know, the red zone showing them 10, 10 different games in, in half an hour. That to me, if I'm the NFL, I'm concerned about that. You get, you know, the people take a look at how this season is going. I was like, man, that was, I kind of enjoyed that more. And, it, and I was not as bothered by the lack of fans in the stands as I, as I thought I would be. It didn't feel as antiseptic as I thought it would. And I, I agree with you. I thought it was a pretty high level of play for, you know, you didn't see a ton of penalties or, you know, it didn't look any different to me. It didn't just look excessively sloppy. Yeah. yeah people were, people were, you know, belaboring the, the 70 decibel crowd noise. Actually, I was glad they had it. I mean, I, I would have been, you know, it would have been more bizarre to me if you had had like the, the one guy from Rudy just over there in the in the tunnel going with the slow clap, you know, like I don't, you know, I mean, I, it would have been really more bizarre. Um, you know, the, the, I, the only guy I, that seemed to be the most bothered by no fans was Al Michaels, who re- refused to stop talking about it on the Sunday night broadcast on NBC. But go go ahead. Well, you know, I watched Jim and Tony, uh, you know, do their thing on CBS from Foxborough, and they. It, they repeatedly kind of gave the old sarcastic, oh, the crowd's really getting into it. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think the notion for a while has been, you know, people could end up falling in love with watching the game on their 60-inch TV from their, you know, comfortable living room. But I think after the fact that everybody's been trapped up at home, I think most fans want to go back. I think they want normalcy. I think they want to go tailgate at a Tennessee game or a tailgate at a Titans game. Or, or, you know, I mean, you're naturally may lose a few, but I think on the whole, most people will come back. When I think the whole time, most people have been, you know, you know, very cognizant of what Rob just alluded to. And I, so, well, I think you missed the pageantry more in college. And that's just me growing up, you know, in, around a college town, you know, living in a college town. So I'm, I'm biased that way. But I think that means a lot more to the college football fan, you know, getting there early on game day hanging out with, you know, old fraternity brothers, you know, old, old buddies from college. I, I, I don't know that – and I could be wrong because, again, I'm not a huge pro guy as far as, you know, being there in person. I, I think that element is a little – is larger in college. I, I think it depends on what city you're in. I think, you know, in the Northeast, being a Giants or Eagles I would, I would agree with that. Is, is different than, you know, being a Falcons fan. Well, um, was- But I do think – but I do think, though, like, you know, this year for Tennessee, I know there's a lot of people that I've talked to that – you know, turn down their tickets. And why'd they turn them down? Because the, the, the tailgating was going to be limited and have these rules and there was no vol village and there was no vol walk and there's no running through the tee and, and these type of things that go along with the pageantry you're talking about. And I think that people, you know, if they're not going to, if it's going to be almost like a road game, then they just won't let us sit at home. Like most watch it on a road game. Well, I, I think between the two, between the two leagues, the, the, the college game and or the two games, the college game and the NFL game, the college people are much more concerned about attendance than the NFL people are now look into new place in, in Los Angeles that they just built. And those places, obviously they want to put fans in the stands, but that NFL model of success for owners is not, 
as as strapped to what the fan attendance is because they get so much TV money. Whereas in the college game, it's a big deal if 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 fans don't come back. So that pageantry has to return, obviously, to get fans back in the stands moving forward. All right, last thing before we get specific diehard into Tennessee. Bigger surprise to you, the fact that the Big Ten appears to be on the verge of a reversal about playing or that no one cares about football in the Pac-12? The Big Ten. Everybody knows that nobody cares about the Pac-12. You know, nobody's cared about it for years. And this has only drawn a magnifying glass like, you know, you're using the beat of the sun trying to kill the ant. I mean, like, you know, everybody knows that that the Pac-12 – you know, it, it, you know, it means more here. It means nothing out there, which is why, you know, as everybody has fought for the Big 12, even, the, even some of the Southern people have fought for the Big 12. Nobody's fighting for the Pac-12. And, and the Pac-12 is like, you know, our guys asked for $400 million to play, and we're not paying them. So, oh, well, we'll just move on. And, I, and, you, and everybody, can, everybody can talk about, well, California, it's got a lot of California schools, and California was hit by COVID harder than others. But still, no one fought for it. You didn't see anybody in Oregon or Arizona or Utah fighting for it at all. At least Nebraska on the very front lines fought early before Ohio State jumped in, Penn State jumped in, and others. Nobody fought for the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm not as surprised by the by the Big Ten simply because of you know historically you know, they maybe I haven't done outside of Ohio State they've not done a lot in the last 10, 15 years. But Ohio State, Big uh, Penn State. Michigan, Nebraska. I mean, those are some of the, the flagship programs of college football when you talk about the last 50 years. With some diehard fans, huge donor bases, huge stadiums. I'm, I, I'm not surprised that they've been able to put enough pressure on to at least, you know, get the powers that be there to, to reconsider things. I, you know, the thing about the Pac-12, I'm just surprised no coach has come out and said – it's like when David Shaw came out and said he agreed with the fact that they're not playing? Like every other coach said, well, David Shaw, the spokesman for the Pac-12, said it. We're, we're not going to stand up and say anything. How much if you're, if you're Tennessee, if you're uh, an SEC school uh, or any other school in the Power Five, even the, even the Big Ten if they start playing, how much do you go recruit on the West Coast and go, look, guys, I mean, really, you want to stay oh. out here? They, they, they can care less about playing football. Why don't you come it, play it, here where it, where it matters? It's a death nail, but there are some kids though that are just happy to stay closer to home, that know they can make it to the National Football League playing in the Pac-12, and it won't affect. But you can bet that some recruitments are going to have a huge have it. This will have a huge impact on them for West Coast kids. Now, you when you talked about uh, uh, David Shaw, let me tell you who was first in line patting David Shaw on the back, saying, "That's right, that's right, David. That's Clay Helton who wants to just." Slide under the radar yeah. and you know, keep paying me, and I'm going to just keep staying yeah. out here in LA because his payroll check's going to clear every month for an, for another year. All right, let's get to Tennessee. Let's dive hard into Tennessee right quick uh, with some different things. Jeremy Pruitt at the quarterback club on Monday sort of joked a little bit about contact tracing. Told everybody in the crowd he he was on the Zoom call and looked out there and saw some of them and said that they weren't they weren't all masked up and said you know some of y'all better get that mask on or you're going to you're going to expose yourself into the, into the world of contact tracing. And I don't want to say made light of it, but he, he, he was, again, trying to make his point, but he was trying not to be, you know, whiny about it or trying not to be just ripping on somebody. But, but clearly it remains an issue for Tennessee, which we've talked about, and, and, and it's going to be an issue for Tennessee. So my question, and I'll, Austin, I'll start with you. 
and we, we don't know the answer to this, but we'll talk in some hypothetics. Do you think Tennessee is going to be in better shape a week from now? Do you feel like Tennessee is going to be in better shape a week from now in game week than they are right now in terms of numbers, given yeah. where some quarantine times are, you know, in terms of who's been in there? Is the vibe that you're getting that they're going to be closer to 100%, you know, this time next week? Yes. I, I think they'll be closer to 100%. I think they should have nearly everyone back. Eric Gray will return this week. Wanye um, should return. Because contact week. tracing doesn't, like, most people don't realize how it works. It's not like people, like when the kid goes out, like let's say like Wanye went in last, what, Thursday? He practiced Wednesday, went in Thursday. Is that right? Or is it Thursday, Friday? Either way, the contact tracing could have backdated by three days. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily day one. It's day one when they caught it. So, like, you know, it, realistically, he may only – he may have already spent, you know, six days in contact tracing when it's really only four in real time. So, um, you know, I think they'll get most everybody back by game week and uh, providing no one else takes a hit here, I think Tennessee should be full go. The question is just, you know, how rusty is everybody going to be? They've not really had their full unit, um, you know, or full team together at any point during fall camp particular positions have been, you know, kind of, you know, hit and miss whether they've had a full go or not. Um, how will that affect? But they, they should be, I think, pretty healthy, Brent. I mean, you know, they've not really got any major injuries outside of Austin Pope who re-injured himself trying to come back too fast. And, uh, and you know, he's probably the biggest name that's out. Rob, if you're Jeremy Pruitt and you're going to get some of these guys back from, from contact tracing, you're going to get some of these, as he likes to call them, soft tissue injuries back, which are hamstring pulls and a little tweaked ankle here and there and all that stuff. And you're going to be closer to full strength by the end of this week. Do you, do you take a chance in scrimmage again because you haven't got a lot of work? Or do you say, you know what, we, we, we're going into game week. I know he said, hey, we're going to kind of stay in camp mode for a couple of weeks here. The week before your season opening game, say Saturday, you line up and go set, put the ball down and, and go 70 snaps against each other, and you say, you know what, I can't take that risk right here. Oh, that's a great question, man. And I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. I think my, my answer is probably going to be influenced by the fact you're not opening up against UT Chattanooga. You're opening up against an SEC opponent. So I don't know if you go 70 snaps. But, but, but I, you say you got to scrimmage a little. Well, and, and that's in, informed by what, how we saw um, Navy look last week <laughs> against BYU. You know, talk with and with you know the coach coming out afterwards and being real forthright about how he made a big mistake and dialing things back. And again, if it, if it was UT Chattanooga, that would be my scrimmage. But since you're, you're jumping right into SEC play, I mean, I I think you got to maybe take the risk and, and and you know, I'm not saying again, I'm not saying 70 full speed scrimmage plays, but I, I think you got to get some live work in with with your best 11 on both sides of the ball. You go ones on ones, Austin. Is that what you do? You're going to go a little one-on-one the last weekend? Well, they're going to practice. They're going to scrimmage, you know, later today. So they're going to scrimmage, you know, well, no, but, on, but, the, but, on the but Tuesday. But this, I mean, like, is this a is this a full-scale scrimmage or is this a Jeremy Pruitt they, we're going to work on some situational third downs and call the scrimmage? What, what's a full What's a full-scale scrimmage? Put the ball I mean, down. Like, coaches in the booth. Put the ball down. Play football. Put it down at the twenty ones versus ones. Try to stop somebody. I'm not sure they ever do that. I mean, like, I, I think that for the most part, it, the, a lot of it is, you know, what we, you know, the, they get in 70 to 90 to almost 100 plays. 
depending on, you know, that particular day. Um, but it, a lot of it is situational stuff, third downs, two-minute drills, the, those type of things. I don't think they're ever – it's not – I think the days of rolling out there, like when we used to go over there to the stadium and John Painter sat up there in Section M and took stats and, and you know, you kind of almost did a mock-up game, those days I think are pretty much over. I think now it's more along the lines of, you know, getting some 11-on-11 work, ones-on-ones, twos-versus-twos, then doing some situational work and almost putting that in the midst of a, a practice where you do some individual. So, so you think they go one on they they go ones versus ones th- today and and even this weekend? I think you'll make see, up for lost time. Yes, I think you'll see some some work later this week. I I do think though once you know I, from the people I've talked to late in the week they will officially almost start game week late this week and and turn the page into full South Carolina. Not that they've not been focused on them anyway, but like full go, everything South Carolina. Yeah, Pruitt said on uh, at the quarterback club that Thursday they would shift into South Carolina mode is the is the world that, that he said they would go into. But then he also came back and said, hey, we've got to stay in a camp mode because we've missed so much fundamental time. Um, but camp mode doesn't mean, you know, lining up and, and, and just, you know, beating the, the snot out of each other. But I, I just – I'm with you guys. I think they have to hit a little bit more than you would traditionally hit heading into a regular game week just because of the time that they've lost. I, I put this in a 3-2-1, and, and I believe this to be the case. I didn't consult with you guys on this. I think the offensive line is pretty much set everywhere but the right guard spot. Would you agree with that? And right guard set if Cade Bays is eligible. I mean, it's, right. not, a, it's not a competition. It's a waiting on a decision. Right. But if Mays is not eligible, then I think that one is – that position is still a little bit up for debate. But I think right now, if you're lining up and playing today, barring nobody's injured, I think Darnell Wright's your right tackle. I think Jameer Johnson's left tackle because Wanye's missed so much time. And you go Trey Smith, Brandon Kennedy, and the unknown at this point is at right guard, in my opinion. Do you yeah, think there's no, no chance for Wanye? I, I think it depends on how quick he can get back next week. I mean, I – yeah, if he's on the practice field Tuesday, you know, back and gets work Tuesday. And it depends on what week, kind of work he gets in. Yeah. yeah, I could see that. But if he's not back till Thursday, I think it's going to be hard for – Even then, I think Jameer Johnson's leash will be small. If if Wanye's eligible to play in the opener, Jameer Johnson's leash will be small. If Jameer Johnson plays well, he'll, keep, he'll hold Wanye off. If he doesn't, I think the, there'll be a quick hook. All right. You've had this in the chat, Austin, on Monday night. I thought it was a good question someone asked. With Austin Pope's situation with, with the, you know, with him being back banged up with the back, and we don't know when or if with, with, with his return uh, in this 10-game season, who, who – it's Princeton Fant, you know, Jacob by father. You think Jacob Warren's the number two guy? Yes, I do. What do you think Jacob's done to earn that spot? Is it his athletic ability? You think he's heavier? He's blocked but when more physical? What's – it's it's what you just said. He's heavier and he's been more physical. And he's more physical than Sean Brown and Jackson Lowe. And so I think that's, you know, I mean, he's a big body. I mean, Jacob's six seven. When you're six seven, you're now over two hundred and fifty pounds. You know that that helps you a lot. Uh, and so I think that you know Jacob's you know kind of been just a grinder and you know he's worked hard and he's done everything the coaches have asked. So. Um, that's why I think he's the number two behind Princeton fan. All right. Rob, freshman, you're most intrigued by. Oh, man. And we can ask this one next week again. I mean, but, but, I mean, but, but, but give me, the, give me one. Nah, give me one. 
I mean, is it is it too, it's just too cliche to say Jalen Hyatt, it seems like. But, I mean, you, you hear – if the kid's going to end up as a starter at wide receiver, that's got to be the guy, you know, that, that can't be a wrong answer. You don't think he's not roll-go-rolling to Columbia motivated? Ooh, I mean, oh. the guy dominated at, at, at uh, Williams-Brice in the state championship game. So, yep, and they didn't know. have any interest in him. He will be – he will be uh, – or not enough interest in him, I guess is the best way to say that one. Um, he will definitely be ready to play for, for sure. I, I don't and I can list five guys, and not just because of how good the class was, but because of something you, you wrote about, Hubbard. Uh, they've all gotten so much, so many chances in fall camp. I mean, just unprecedented. And with guys missing so much time, I don't think you – I mean, there's, there's – ne- you're not just for Tennessee, I would imagine, but everywhere. There's never been a time like this for a true freshman to have a chance to get on the field in an impactful way this early. Is, yeah, and and with that in mind, what's your point? I mean, Rob, you've covered you've covered recruiting. Austin, you have too. Both of you guys have covered recruiting a long time. Um, and, and obviously, I've I've been around a block a time or two. It's changed a lot. How good is the is the Spragans recruiting story? Oh, it's when, pretty when, good. You, when you think about where he's at right now, I mean, well, I, and before we before we go there, I just want to say when you say you've covered recruiting a long time, I think Hubbard was at Dewey Warren's <laughs> announcement. <laughs> No, no, but I know where Jay Graham made his announcement at over at the state council. <laughs> no, I mean, it's really, I mean, you, North Carolina. I mean, you, I mean, Austin, it's crazy. I mean, think about this, Austin. If I'm not mistaken, Spragans was in town with his seven on with a seven on seven team. He was, and he was and, just snapping the ball, and ended up camping and working, <laughs> working out, and getting an offer. Got an offer. I remember where I was. I was picking my kids up from. Uh, Oh, I was picking my kid. Well, I wasn't picking them up. I, they were at the end of the week Bible school event at First Baptist Morristown. They'd been up with my parents the whole time. I'm walking around there. We're down in like the sweaty, like, you know, downstairs area where they Low work. ceiling. Phone rings. It's somebody on campus. Hey, Javante Spragans is committing. Just and you went, heads up. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, exactly. And, uh, so then I get the kid on the phone, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, he, he's a remarkable story. But, you know, you bring up a point about all these. You know, Rob says there's a number of guys. I mean, let, let's just roll through these names. And these names were readily available from the Monday Night Chat. So I'm going to pull them up. Weidman will play. Hyatt will play. I think Spragans in some form or fashion plays next Saturday. Lawrence will play. Slaughter, I think he'll play. He'll play special teams. Uh, Hodge, I'm not sure he plays. He's got a calf. Beckwith, I do not believe, will play. Morvin Joseph will play. I think Jabari Small will play next week. Uh, Tyler Barron will play. In fact, I think Tyler Barron may be a, a more of a factor, even though he's kind of slid under the radar in fall camp than most people realize. Holiday and Callaway, I think, will find their way to the field. Don't think Dominic Bailey will play. Harrison Bailey will not play unless it's uh, barring a, a crazy scene. Uh, Whitehead, I don't believe, will play. McDonald won't play. I think Eason plays. French plays special teams. Big O, I don't think will play. Cooper will not play because he's uh, still not back yet. And uh, Robinson, I don't believe will play. I mean, that's a lot of guys I think that will at least get some type of snaps next week. Yeah, well, and you have the ability one to to play all those guys if you want to because the the year doesn't count. But two, it also tells you that they like this class and Rob, the depth still not there. They're still building, but but at the same time too, you look at like Clemson the other night. I mean, they played a bunch of freshmen. I mean, that's just the world we're in now. I mean, you got to play all. You got to well, play all those freshmen. I mean, the depth is not 
Alabama or Georgia depth, but we're still talking AP just rattled off two four-star defensive tackles. That, that might not get on the field. That might not get on the field because Tennessee doesn't need them. With, a, with a defensive line that's, quote, struggled in, in fall camp, right? And, and before we move on from Spragans, I want to say, I mean, the most, I mean, one of the most interesting parts about that story is like, and I know this wasn't the case, but on the surface, it looked like the case. Like they kind of took him to get uh, the safety's name escapes me that ended up at Texas A&M, the four-star kid. And he, de- he de- decommits, you know, pretty early in the process. Spragans blows up a little bit, has all kinds of opportunities and sticks with Tennessee, which, you know, I, I think adds, adds even, you know, another wrinkle, another layer to, to that story. Yeah, I, I think his story is fascinating. I think there's a lot of really good stories on this freshman, with this freshman class that we're going to talk about. There's a couple other stories, I think, with this team that's going to be interesting, too. I think Cedric Tillman is going to be a really fascinating potential story because that's one I didn't see coming, you know. I really didn't. I, I did not see him being a huge factor. And Austin, I, I, think, he's going to be, I think he's going to be a real factor in the receiver rotation. Let me tell him. you why, Hubs, because he changed numbers. You didn't like. You can't roll out there with number eighty-five anymore as a receiver in college and get any kind of. You got to be a single-digit guy. No, you just can't be be an eighty-five. You can be be a double-digit, but you can't be in the eighties. You can be eighty or eighty-one or eighty-eight, but not eighty-five. Eighty-five. You're totally against eighty-five. Why are you in in college? I'm a big numbers guy. I don't know. Tim McGee. Tim McGee just again. Slapping the face. 1980s. <laughs> You're just saying it didn't look right. Yeah, it's the same reason kids don't wear 33 anymore or 24 as a running back. You just never see it. Who wears 33? When I was a kid, Little Man was one of my favorite players, so I loved 33. Tony but no one wears 33 anymore as no, a running No, because back. all those kids want single digits or they, want, or they want low 20s is what they want. I'm yeah. not a big fan of the zero, by the way. I'm not sure why we had to go down that road. I'm, See, I'm not a big fan of the I think zero. it actually looks pretty good on no, that. I mean, I, don't, I saw somebody in college wearing that the other day. I just I – don't, I don't get the zero thing. I don't think we ought to be having it. Next thing, we're going to have double zeros out there. I, I don't think we ought to go with the zero number. I didn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for me. All right, last question out the gate. Biggest – outside of contact tracing, biggest thing you need to learn about this team this week? Whew. I either I couldn't decide if it would be pass or wide receivers. Pass rusher receivers. Yeah, those are. I mean, those are the two biggest for me. All right, AP. What about you? Uh, defensive line. I mean, just In better play. Well, I, I don't think the, you want to have the same kind of feeling you've had the last couple of weeks rolling into game week. You're hoping at some point, even if it's small movement in the right direction, it's movement in the right direction. Yeah, I got to go with you there too. I'm with you on. I'm with you on that. I think I've heard enough about the the play of the wide receivers to to make me excited about that. But I'm not real intrigued by the real excited about the defensive line based on the discussion that Jeremy Pruitt's had about them uh, for the last couple of weeks. So I think it's 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 a huge huge week for that unit. They've got to find it. Jimmy Brumball's got to get the energy and got to get it going a little bit better. Uh, with that unit in this week before Tennessee heads into game week. All right, let me tell you right quick about our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. We've been talking about them all summer. Uh, They've got that 79-99 tune-up that you wanted to jump into, but fall weather's changing, okay? The the weather's changing. We don't know how long it'll stay this way, but we're getting to that time of year where you're going to flip your heat on, you're going to flip the heat off, you're going to go back to the air conditioning, going to go to the heat. You know, my house, it'll be the heat. I'll have a toboggan on, and everybody in my house will be screaming, turn the air conditioner back on. Uh, when you're doing that to your unit, 
you want to make sure you got that tune-up. You want to make sure everything's working right. So it's a great time to call Blue Water Climate Control and go ahead and get your fall maintenance done. Get yourself ready for the fall and winter season. Make sure you're good to go. It's the perfect time to do that. Uh, they're going to come in. If you need a repair, they're going to do it the right way the first time. They're going to have a guarantee on that. Uh, they guarantee the, all of their work. Um, if you if you just need a simple tune-up, they can take care of that as well. Whatever your needs are, Jeremy and the crew at Blue Water Climate Control can handle that for you. So give them a call at 865-299-2290. You can go actually online and book an appointment. And for more information on Blue Water Climate Control, you can check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or you can visit them on Twitter at bluehto underscore climate. That is Blue Water Climate Control for Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us for this Tuesday podcast. Have a great day, everybody.